title of this message is The Art of One-Upmanship. Collins English Dictionary defines one-upmanship. The art of practicing, of achieving, or maintaining an advantage over others, often by slightly unscrupulous means. When we come to the scripture, and James defines um, one-upmanship like this. James chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 from the message. Twisting the truth to make yourselves sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. The book of James talks about the church and what can usually starts out good, maybe sometimes falls apart. And that was what that scripture was for. Is, um, and we get to the root of this whole problem. Where does the motive come from? It's a four-letter word and spe- spelled E-N-V-Y. Shakespeare calls it the green sickness. Bacon admitted it has no holidays. Horace declared that tyrants never, intent, never invented a greater torment. Barry said is the most corroding of the vices. Sheridan referred to it as in his play The Critic when he wrote, there is not a patience so strongly rooted in the human heart as this. Philip Bailey, the eloquent English poet of yesteryear, vividly describes it as a coal that comes hissing hot from hell. And speaking of hell, no one has done a better job of portraying envy than Dante in his purgatory. You may recall the envious set like blind beggars by a wall. Their eyelids are showed shut. The symbolism is apt, showing the reader that it is one of the blindest sins, partly because it is so unreasonable, partly because the envious person is sewed up in himself, swollen with poisonous thoughts in a dark, constricting world of almost enduring self-imposed anguish. What exactly is envy? How does it differ from its twin jealousy? Envy, the more sophisticated of the two, is a painful and resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another, accompanied by a strong desire to possess the same advantage. Envy wants to have what someone else possesses. Jealousy wants to possess what it already has. Jealousy is coarse and it's cruel. Envy is sneaky and subtle. Jealousy clutches and smothers. Envy is forever reaching, longing, squinting, thinking, and saying sinister insinuations. And when you stop to think about it, envy is the worst of the two. God declares several times that he is a jealous God, but not once does he admit envy. And sometimes those who envy really believe it's an innocent endeavor and feeling like Will Smith in The Pursuit of Happiness. Listen to what he says. Man, I got two questions for you. What do you do and how do you do it? (laughs) I'm a stockbroker. Stockbroker. Oh, yeah. Had to go to college to be a stockbroker, huh? You don't have to. Had to be good with numbers and good with people. That's it. Hey, you take care. Hey, I'm going to let you hang on to my car for the weekend, but I need it back for Monday. Feed the meter. <laughs> I still remember that moment. They all look so 
happy to me. Why couldn't I look like that? Why couldn't I live like that? Why couldn't I have that? Why couldn't I go there? Why couldn't I do that? You see how sneaky envy is, how innocent it starts out. It recognizes that openly trying to get the better of others is sinful. So it looks instead for socially acceptable and spiritual sounding ways to express itself, to express its resentment. We have a tendency, even as followers of Christ, to try to rationalize things that we want to do that we know that are wrong. You all heard it. Maybe you've said things like this, like the yes, but approach. That's where you say something nice about somebody, and then you make sure you put that little sting in the tail. Envy finds acceptable ways of expressing its resentment. One favorable method is the but approach. But when I talk of someone I envy, I might say, he is an excellent salesman, but he really isn't very sincere. Or, yeah, she has a brilliant mind, but she is a dull teacher. Or, the man is an outstanding surgeon, but he doesn't mind charging an arm and a leg. And he has terrible bedside manner, and besides that, his breath stinks something fierce. <laughs> she is a great worker, but her personal life is a mess. And, and then a lot of times, we don't stop there. It goes on. It gets into slander and gossip. Did you know? And boy, I tell you why, when people start a conversation, it's best to walk away. Did you know this and did you know that? And a lot of half-truths and a lot of misinformation. Another favorite avenue of expression envy enjoys to travel is the reversal approach. Someone does a good job, and I cast a shadow over it by questioning the motive. An individual gives a truly generous gift, and we mutter, he's obviously trying to make an impression. A Christian couple buys a new car or a new piece of furniture. Watch out, there will be somebody who will squeeze out an envious comment like, well, they probably don't tithe. We'd have a lot more money to spend if we didn't tithe. Or we could travel like that if we had inherited that kind of money. And how about the unflattering, unfavorable comparison approach, which is equally cynical? The worship leader does a very commendable job on Sunday, and the envious pew sitter thinks, but compared to Mac Powell or Jeremy Camp, this guy's an amateur. I could do better myself. <laughs> or the sermon was okay, a little long, but compared to Dr. David Jeremiah or T.D. Jakes, this guy's a novice. He's boring. It's nap time. Or you think, my neighbor has a nice house and yard, but you ought to drive through houses around Geist Lake and in Indy because it makes my neighborhood yard look like a hog lot, like this picture. It's a sad and curious fact that one-upmanship is caused by envy is a tension often found among professionals. The gifted and the highly competent, you know, doctors and singers and preachers and educators and athletes and politicians and all public figures. Strange to me that such capable folks find it nearly impossible to applaud others in their own field who excel a shade or two more than them. Envy's fangs may be hidden, but take care when the creature coils, no matter how cultured or dignified it may appear. For whatever reason, we seem to have trouble acknowledging the gifts and contributions of others. In 2004, Hollywood made a movie with the same title, Envy. 
Ben Stiller and Jack Black's in it, and they're best friends and they're neighbors, and they both work at 3M. Nick is constantly coming up with crazy ideas to get rich, and so he invents a winner and turns him into an instant millionaire, which causes problems within this relationship and this friendship. As Nick's wealth continues to grow, so does Tim's envy, as he had initially scoffed at the idea and squandered an opportunity to buy into this where he could have been a millionaire as well. Nick is blissfully unaware of his Tim's jealousy and his generosity only saves, serves to make Tim more envious. This clip, Ben Stiller starts to break, and you, as you watch this, you sense the envy that's coming out of his voice. Let's watch. Why didn't you tell me? I should have told you. That's the thing. I should have just told you, but I don't know what happened. I, 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 I felt guilty or, or, or something, I was, and I was just so wrapped up in the envy that I felt for everything you had. I mean, it's true what they say. It's like a little, little green monster that comes out, and, and, and it just poisoned my head. I mean, and by the way, you did nothing wrong. I mean, you did nothing wrong. You just, you, you followed your dream. You did what you wanted to do. And I was always saying, don't do it, don't do it. And you did it, and it worked. I mean, it worked. Look, you built a house, right? That's all you did. You built a house. I mean, it's a big house. I mean, it's a really big house. It's a, it's a large house. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's, it's gigantic, Nick. It's the White House. You built the White House across the street and, and we're in the shadow of it. I mean, literally every day, four o'clock, we're in the shadow of it, you know, and that's not your fault. I mean, you wanted to be friends still and you didn't want to move. And I love that. I mean, that's such a, you know, it's coming from such a good place, but it was just, I mean, it really was getting to me because every day I'd have to look at you and see you with all of this stuff, you know, buy the yellow Lamborghini that goes, 500 miles an hour. Have a bowling alley next to your bedroom. If I could do it, I would have done it. Everybody should have a merry-go-round. Of course you should have a merry-go-round. Jealousy every day, and it was just chewing me up. I mean, your kid's playing the concert piano, my kid's banging trash cans. And I don't think that has anything to do with the money. I think that's just his musical ability, but that's a whole other thing. And you just gave to us, Nick. I mean, you gave, and you gave, and you're so generous. And, 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 and what am I gonna give you? I gave you tube socks for Christmas last year. That's not gonna work. I like the socks. You gave us so much the coffee machine. It's a beautiful, giant, rocket ship-sized coffee machine. And Debbie loved the coffee. I'll tell you something. I never tasted it. I've been wanting to tell you that for a long time. I mean, it's that bad. I can't even tell you I haven't tried the coffee. Like, it's going to make me feel better about myself that I won't drink your coffee. And you gave our kids flan. And then, all of a sudden, my son's going, Daddy, Daddy, where's the flan? I want the flan. And I just want to... It felt like a dagger in my heart, the flan, every time you'd request flan. And, and it just made me feel little. I felt like a little man who didn't like flan. That's what I felt like, Nick. And the horse, the horse was great, Nick. Of course you should have a horse. Does it have to be a white horse that you come galloping up on and it neighs and it makes a whole thing? Of course, make it a beautiful white horse that I think honestly didn't like. One of the interesting things about that clip is he, he is telling him about it. A lot of times we don't tell the person that we envy. We tell the neighbors, we tell those we have coffee with and then it spreads around. That's part of the problem. Envy was making him miserable. And we asked the question, is envy in the scripture? Definitely. We look at the facts from the Bible. Envy sold Joseph into slavery, drove David into exile, threw Daniel in the lion's den, put Christ on trial. If you question that, you better check Matthew 27, 18. He, being Pilate, knew very well that the Jewish leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. That was the point. That's why they did it. People were flocking around him. I tell you, envy is not, 
is not uh, confined to the United States of America. It is around the world. We first started going to Russia. We were in a place called Dimitrov. It was 80 miles north of Moscow. And here we outsiders had come in and we were giving away thousands of Bibles at bus stops and uh, markets and on and on and on and on. And do you know who gave us the most grief or were the most critical who would stand and shout and shake their fist? It was the Orthodox priests. They did not want their people to have the word of God because they stood behind their pulpits with the ultimate power because they were the only ones that had it. It was an envious situation. Paul tells us that it's one of the prevailing traits of depravity, Romans 129. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, fighting, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. And a team member that plays in the same backfield with profanity and suspicion and conceit, 1 Timothy 6.4, anyone who teaches anything different in both, is both conceited and ignorant. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. That stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, fighting, slander, and evil suspicions. So what's the answer? Paul says it lies in 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. This is a great phrase. The rich simplicity of being yourself. That's where the answer lies. That's where the cure lies of being envious. It is relinquishing your obsession with getting ahead of others and having more. It's learning to be content with who and what you are right now while always striving to grow. Earlier in Scripture, if you remember the Ten Commandments, God said in Exodus 20, 17, do not covet anything. Because what? Most of what we get upset about won't matter in eternity, won't mean anything. And since we cannot carry anything with us when we die, 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, all those kudos and achievements aren't worth forfeiting your peace over. Are they really? The rich simplicity of being yourself, I love it. And you know what that translates into, into life? Contentment. I hope you've all found that. It is such a treasure. It is such a wonderful thing to have. Because if you are content, you can go about your daily business and not worry about everything and not be anxious. You can go to bed at night and tell God what you think and put your head on that pillow and go to sleep and sleep all night. That's what contentment does. Feeling comfortable and secure with where you are and who you are. Not having to be better or go further or own more or prove to the world or reach the top. Having some big struggles with envy, eating your heart out because somebody's a step ahead of you or two in the race and gaining momentum, you need to relax. You are you, not them, and you are responsible to do the best you can do with what you've got, got as long as as you are able. Boy, it's, it's hard sometimes, is it not? <laughs> and you and I do best when we embrace with all of our hearts God's genuine wisdom. We learn from our text what happens when we try to operate our lives using our own wisdom. James 3.16 again. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throats. Verse 15 its source is not from God, but the devil. It produces a kind of situation that the, de the devil delights in, not God. 
James then describes this arrogant and bitter wisdom in its effects. The most notable thing about envy is that it causes disorder. That is to say, instead of bringing people together, it drives them apart. Instead of producing peace, it produces strife, which Satan delights totally in. It causes church fights. Can't imagine seeing that in church, can you? Well, I've been in situations that come pretty close. There wasn't any choking going on or fisticuffs, but in somebody's mind, you can imagine your fist slamming right into their face. And these are brothers and sisters in the body. Verses 17 and 18 in James 3, it tells us about God's wisdom. It's the kind of wisdom that we should seek and use in life. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no partiality and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. We have to remember that the race is not over. And even when it is, a lot of things that you and I get so hot and bothered about during our lifetime won't show up in eternity. They won't be there. I don't care how many trophies, rewards, or dollars, or degrees, or titles that you got in front of your name. What may be earned or won on earth, you can't take them with you. So it isn't worth the sweat and trouble to envy. Death always cures the green sickness. So I ask you this morning, are you guilty or of mastering the art of one-upmanship? <laughs> We've been around people like that, people that tell stories. I know I'm a huge t- storyteller, but I've been around people that that, that, is their, that is their main goal is when you tell a story, they want to top you. And uh, I've heard some dandies, some I can tell you, but some I can't. But anyhow, it was, uh, I'm thinking about the college and this one guy I worked with, man, oh man, this guy, he... And you've heard this, these stories before, I repeat myself, but he was a police officer on campus and he was working third shift in the union at Eastern Illinois University in Charleston, Illinois. He'd come in, tell these stories, and somebody would, uh, would top him, and, uh, or try to top him, but it was very hard to do. Just for instance, and I'll, and I'll go on, but he'd come in one night, and he's always sitting there puffing on this pipe, telling these big stories. His name was Roscoe, Roscoe said. Boys, I want to tell you, he said, I bought a new snapper mower. And after the first time I took the blade off and sharpened it, I put it on upside down and it had so much power, it lifted me four feet off the ground like a helicopter. (laughs) Do you believe that? We didn't either. He'd get mad. He'd get mad at you because you wouldn't believe these stories. He had enough rifles in his basement to outfit a company of men. Him and his brother set traps. They they, They set 100 traps a mile apart and walked them every day. It's just a, uh, I can't tell you the, I could tell you outside, but I can't tell you in here the, the guy from Mattoon that topped him one night. And it was one of the best stories I've ever heard in my life. And it got old Roscoe so bad that he puffed on his pipe twice and found an ashtray and tapped it out and got up and left quietly. He couldn't stand anymore. He couldn't do it. You ever twist the truth to make yourself sound wise or... Ever try to look better than others? 
You ever try to get the better of others to one-up them? Ever envy another person, who they are, what they do, what they have, to have what they possess to the point of resentment? James 3.15 says, these thoughts are motivated by the devil and our pure sin. So, beloved, if this describes you in any way this morning, confess and repent and get rid of this very, at this very instant. Would you bow with me? Lord, you have a way of convicting us, gripping our heart, but you do it in a gentle way. It's a way that it doesn't cause us so much pain as it does regret because we failed you. We failed our fellow man. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you shine that light in our hearts if there's something there that we just say, forgive me, Lord, and help me to do better. So that's my prayer this morning, Father, as we uh, end this great service. We ask in the name of Christ, amen. As the band plays, if you need to pray, come up here. I, I know with me, and I've told you this before, you can dump a load of guilt right where you sit, but for me, it was always at this altar. I always felt better for some reason. It was a sim- symbolism of, of coming up here and kneeling at this altar and laying that stuff down at Jesus' feet. So uh, this altar's open if you need to pray this morning. Here's my blessing uh, to you from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you. May he be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. Amen.